Climate Conversations on the Agenda. With Dubai Holding, together for the good of tomorrow. Hello there and thank you for downloading our Climate Conversations podcast from the 19th of September. And on the programme today, we turned our attention to the upcoming summit and the major issues likely to top the agenda. Of course, reducing emissions is going to be the primary topic of conversation, but there are several different ways of doing that. On the programme today, we looked at the transition to renewable fuels and we also discussed the viability of carbon capture. With two fantastic guests, including Saoud Al-Nouri, who is from the Office of the Special Envoy for Climate Change here in the UAE. He's also from the Emirates National Experts Programme. And Dr. Mohammed Abu Zara, who is head of this region for the Global Carbon Capture Institute. Climate Conversations on the Agenda. With Dubai Holding, together for the good of tomorrow. Yes, we're turning our attention to the environment now. It is part of our special Climate Conversations series in partnership with Dubai Holdings. And of course, with just two months to go until the start of COP28, all eyes are on the world's net zero goals. When it when you drill it down to one sort of detail, one thing that needs to be discussed at COP28, it is the problem with carbon emissions. And one concept that is sparking a lot of conversation at the moment is the idea of carbon capture. Now, in the next 10 minutes or so, we're going to be joined by an expert on that subject. Uh, So we're going to talk about that in some detail. Uh, It is a reasonably untested technology on one level and to its proponents the idea that we can you know sequester or trap these harmful gases away from the environment and store them is something of a game changer but to critics they say it's unproven technology it's distracting from the need to actually reduce our reliance on fossil fuels once and for all so that's going to be a really hot topic of conversation at cop 28 as is the move to renewables are we doing it fast enough. How close are we to making renewable energy work on a global scale? Well, to find out a little bit more about it, I sat down earlier with Saoud Al-Nouri. Now, he's from the Office of the Special Envoy for Climate Change here in the UAE. He's involved in the negotiations. He's been involved for some time. He's also one of the speakers from the National Experts Programme. And he explained how measuring our attempts to move away from fossil fuels is really complex. Currently, when we look at the shift away from fossil fuels, as we stand right now, there is no evidence that we're actually moving away from fossils to renewables. But if we look at it from a percentage point of view, yes, since 1965, we have moved from fossil fuel energy, which provided around 95% of the world's energy, to around 83%. However, at the same time, the total amount of fossil fuel energy that is being used actually increased more than 300%. We currently use three times as much fossil fuels as we did in 1965. Actually, we've never used less of any energy source. We have actually used more. Even today, we're using more biomass than we did in the 1800s. But on another note, the IEA projects, which is the International Energy Agency, projects that oil demand is expected to peak within the next 10 years. And in the case of natural gas, that peak could actually reach by 2030. But in contrast with oil, we don't expect a reduction until 2050. And when I say this, I am 
I'm talking about the global scale and not the UAE specifically. I think the UAE has done excellent strides in the early deployment of renewable energy. We have you know, established Masdar when the entire world did not even consider renewable energies as a viable option. But the UAE was so forward-looking that we actually highlighted the importance of renewable energy before it even was showcased as a viable option for our energy demands. So while we're seeing the use of fossil fuels increase, and I suppose that's in part due to growing populations, countries becoming more developed like China and, and India and making more demands on fossil fuels, in parallel, we are seeing progress being made with renewable energy. Do you think that that process is happening fast enough? I, I believe it's happening. But if we look at the outcomes from the G20 leaders declaration, it was a very big moment for COP28 as well, because they introduced the need that the world has to triple its global renewable energy capacity. And it is also one of the landmark initiatives that we are working on as a presidency as well. So there is the need, the world is shifting, but for us to shift, we have to build the current structure and then start developing how the future is going to look like and transition in a way that you are not disrupting the lifestyles or the people that work in the jobs. There's also the entire infrastructure that falls around this. So every shift has to be in a just and pragmatic and realistic manner so that we can transition from the old ways to actually a new structure of implementing more renewables. Realistically, if countries like the UAE want to make that transition, they're well off. They've got decent funds to be able to build things like the Mohammed bin Rashid solar park. And I know this is going to be another big topic at COP28. The reality is, is that developing countries, maybe those in Africa, maybe some of those in Asia, just don't have the money to be able to build the renewable power infrastructure that they need. Now, do you think that it's time for the richer countries to step up to help with that financing, to help with that transition ultimately? Of course. And I think that's also a very important question. And it's one of the most uh, prevalent points of discussion when we look at the UNFCCC negotiations. Countries want to transition. They want to stop looking at fossil fuels. They recognize that for us to be able to reach our targets after the Paris Agreement, there needs to be a step change in the process. There needs to be less reliance on emissions and less reliance on fossil fuels and look at clean and greener alternatives. But they also need the funding mechanism that helps support that. And I think this year, hopefully at COP28, we should be able to reach a milestone and how can we solve the finance problem? How can we help countries, for example, in Africa, and in Asia or other parts of the world to have more access to cleaner and greener energy sources. Ultimately, are you hopeful that we might end up with a scenario where financial structures are created that will enable the poorer countries to get loans, for example, to build solar farms, wind farms? Yes, we are hoping. You know, uh, His Excellency Dr. Sultan al-Jabbar, COP president-designate, has actually been very vocal about this specific topic. He has mentioned numerous times within all of his engagements the need to restore trust and faith within the process. 
And one way of doing that is for developed countries to meet their financial obligations and promises that they have done throughout the years. One of the main things, for example, is the 100 billion pledge. The 100 billion pledge has never been met since the promise actually happened. And we need this to happen so that we can start looking at other ways and explore different means for us to achieve the goals of the Paris Agreement. Another thing that we're looking at is that the need for the doubling of adaptation finance. We know that climate change is real. We know that the global temperatures have been warming in ways that are unprecedented. But we actually have to also take into consideration how are these countries adapting to the impacts of climate change. And this is why we have been calling for the doubling of adaptation financing. And we have pushed uh, on all the multilateral forums for this goal to actually be met. Having countries with more resilient infrastructure, uh, you know, heat resistant crops and other also means of implementation when it comes to adaptation is critically important for especially the developing countries to be able to adapt to the impacts of climate change. It's interesting that you mention how the cost of renewables has come down considerably, because I know that's one of the key messages coming out of the Ministry of Climate Change and Environment here in the UAE, that this move to renewables, this move away from fossil fuels doesn't need to mean a slowdown of anyone's economy. In fact, it can be profitable that the tech can be innovative and profitable, and that in fact, it could be a source for growth and positivity. Absolutely. And this goes to the whole concept of a just transition, that any type of transition that we move away from, uh, you know, our traditional sources of energy has to be done in a way that also empowers people and actually does not hinder development. So energy transition has to go hands in hand with economic development. And I think this is also the rhetoric that a lot of developing countries have been using within the climate negotiations, is that we can't stop our development, but we have to find ways that we continue developing while also reducing our emissions. And finding that sweet spot between both those aspects is what countries are striving to achieve. Really interesting there to hear from Saoud Al-Nouri, who's from the Office of the Special Envoy for Climate Change here in the United Arab Emirates. He's involved in the negotiations and, and he's also a spokesperson from the UAE's National Experts Programme. Really lovely to have him join us on the radio this morning here on the Agenda. Climate Conversations on the Agenda. With Dubai Holding, together for the good of tomorrow. Hello there. Good to have you with us here on the show. This is The Agenda and this is our special segment. It is Climate Conversations when we basically turn our attention to the latest issues that are raising their heads ahead of COP28. Uh, I think we've only got about was it 72 or 73 days until the start of the COP28 Climate Summit. And it's fair to say top of the agenda, as is the case at all of these climate uh, events, is the carbon emissions and the problems that those carbon emissions are causing. Now, there's two uh, different ways that you can approach this. You can either reduce the amount of carbon emissions that you're creating, uh, which, of course, would mean less burning of fossil fuels, uh, or you can capture what is already in the atmosphere. Now, my understanding is that carbon capture is quite a complex industry. And 
certainly there are climate activists who don't think that it should be part of the conversation at all. They say that actually the focus should remain on reducing the amount of emissions that are being released into the atmosphere, and that would mean reducing the amount of fossil fuels that are going to be used. But certainly there is no doubt that carbon capture is moving up the agenda as in terms of importance. And that's one of the reasons why we wanted to discuss it in more detail right here on the agenda in our climate conversations today. And I'm delighted to say that I'm joined in the studio by one of the UAE's experts on the subject, Dr. Mohammed Abu Zara. He's from the Global Carbon Capture Institute and he's joined me in the studio. Good to have you with us, sir. Thank you very much. Yeah, thank you for having me. Good morning. Good to have you with us um, because I think not very many people really know what carbon capture is. Let's start with the simplest of questions. What is it? <laughs> okay. So we all know about the, the problem we're facing with the carbon dioxide emissions and we need to reduce that. There are multiple means to do it. Renewable energy efficiency, stop using fossil fuel or reducing using fossil fuel, and then carbon capture, transport and storage. So carbon capture, transport and storage is simply instead of allowing the carbon dioxide being emitted to the atmosphere, we will take that flue gas that contains the carbon dioxide it treated with some chemical solvent, solid materials, or other means of gas separation technologies. And then that carbon dioxide we remove from the atmosphere or from the flue gas will be compressed, transported, and then injected underground in deep saline aquifers or depleted oil and gas field. So it will be like high-pressure liquid phase type of material. When you inject it underground, it will be trapped between the solid particles and the water particles and the sand. Now we talk about injection at a very deep geological formation. So we make sure it doesn't go to the atmosphere again. So instead of allowing the CO2 accumulating the atmosphere, we want to inject it underground and keep it there forever. That definitely sounds like the plot of a Bond movie. Like, do you know what I mean? You can almost imagine why people are a bit like, whoa, 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 whoa wait a sec. Because first of all, you, it's a gas. Uh, and so I think people don't necessarily understand the chemical process of making it a liquid. And you're like, and then your immediate response is, okay, so you're going to bury it, but what if it explodes? <laughs> um, now, we, we, I don't expect people on the street to really understand the chemical process of that fully. But our role as experts is try to bring it to their understanding as possible. Now, CO2, when it's trapped underground, there is no possibility of explosion. explosion. Okay. Th th that's that's or out bursting the out uh, when it's not meant to. Yeah. Now, there is a concern if we inject it underground, how we make sure it will not release back to the atmosphere. And that's why there is some geological formation we need to check and make sure it is there as a ceiling where it doesn't allow the CO2 to go back to the atmosphere. Then we need to install some monitoring techniques which tells you if there is any leak or anything like that. But it's important to stress that this technology is not in you. CO2 has been captured and injected underground for more than 30, 40 years. Uh, people have been using CO2 for enhanced oil recovery since the 70s in, in South United States and other pla places uh, globally. And for the purpose of CCS as a storage, there are some examples in, in Norway, here in the UAE, in Saudi Arabia, where thousands of tons of CO2 being injected underground. So we know it's effective. We know it's a technology that works. Is it just the expense then that has been, meaning that it hasn't become more, more prevalent? 
I'll, I would say it is still expensive and other means also of cutting down carbon dioxide emissions are expensive too. We have been talking earlier about the reduction in renewable costs because there have been funding, there have been acceleration in deployment. So what lacks for the CCS or carbon capture and storage is really more funding. We need to work at a larger scale and base, and we need the government to push regulations and policies so we can see the technology deployment rolling more. We talk now about 37 operational projects globally as a larger scale. One of them is in the UAE, but we need to scale that up. We need to see hundreds of projects coming online in the coming 2025 years. So why is this a a viable option for the problem that we're facing at the moment? Because we, we are we are facing global warming. It's been caused by the emissions getting trapped in the in the atmosphere and the greenhouse gas effect, the greenhouse effect. Why why not just stop burning fossil fuels, and then we wouldn't have to do this expensive process of, of burying the carbon? I wish we could stop really burning fossil fuel at this stage. Like if anyone can go to Google and look, what is the energy mix globally? We still around 70% of our electricity and power for the industry, for our transportation, all comes from fossil fuel. Now, renewable is important, energy efficiency. We need all these solutions. However, in many countries, we'll continue to rely on fossil fuel for much longer time. And that brings in the importance of a technology like carbon capture, utilization or transportation and storage. Because while you are using fossil fuel, because there is no alternative or whatsoever, we can decarbonize these fossil fuel technologies for the industrial sector, for the power generations uh, and other technologies. And it's important to stress quickly that some industries, you cannot avoid the carbon dioxide emissions like steel and cement the production process will emit CO2. So you cannot resolve the problem with renewables only. So you need a technology like CCS. I don't want to sound too simplistic on this or too like a tree hugger, but but can't you just plant lots of trees instead? Because we know that trees are amazing at, at absorbing carbon. Are there not more natural ways of of stopping this carbon being released into the atmosphere? I think we need all of the above solutions, but okay. we need to talk about the scale how, much, how many trees you want to plant? If we talk now, we emit more than 37 gigatons of carbon dioxide a year. That's a huge. That's like this too many trees to absorb. So we need the plantation. We need the trees. Quickly on the CCS, it delivers at large scale. So, for example, the project we have in Abu Dhabi, it's 800,000 tons CO2 being captured per year. If we look at the scale, this is equivalent of removing 170,000 cars from the street. So the emission you remove is equivalent to the emissions of 170,000 cars. So that's an advantage of CCS where it can really remove bulky amount of CO2 directly from a single source. And so where is the carbon being sequestered? Is it under the sea or is it uh, in the same places that you drew the gas and the, the oil out from originally? Yeah, you can you can inject it in the depleted oil and gas field. So these are excellent options because we understand the geology and we have been extracting fossil fuel for a long time. Uh, other option is to go in deep saline aquifers, and these could be onshore or offshore. Now, it varies based on regulations in the countries if they will allow to go under seabed or not. Uh, but in our region here, most of the interest currently is to go onshore.
All of the other sort of various ways I've heard of sequestering carbon are, are sort of, I, I, I fear they, they may be along the sort of tree line of, of conversation. So, for example, I heard of a, an organization in Oman, a startup in Oman, where they're, they're attempting to turn it into rock, carbon dioxide into rock, another scientific process I'm not truly understanding. Is that something that could ever be scaled? I, I think so. They, they are testing it. There's what's called mineralization. So they inject the CO2 in a specific geological formation. They turn it into minerals or rocks. Uh, and, and that's available technology. They just, just need to test it more and scale it up. So we have multiple technological options for removing the CO2 from the source, from directly from the atmosphere, like what's called direct air capture. Then what to do with the CO2 after being captured? We can use it for mineralization, utilize it, produce fuel, produce polymers, produce other materials, or injected underground, what we call sequestration or storage. So there's lots of different things that can be done with this carbon. It feels like a conversation that, that could go on for a very long time. And I, and I think we are very much just skimming across the top of it yeah. at the moment. Uh, but Dr. Zara, thank you so much for joining us for this preliminary conversation. We will be dipping deeper uh, as, as we approach COP28. But it's been a great pleasure to have you in the studio. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Dr. Mohammed Abu Zara there, Head of Middle East North Africa region for the Global Carbon Capture. Institute, just introducing the subject to us, uh, really, uh, so that we get a, a concept of what will be a very, very prominent part, I think, of the conversation at COMP28 as to what we should do with rising emissions in the world. Right, that brings us to a close of Climate Conversations today. Remember, it's an ongoing series that we have here on Dubai Eye 103.8. I think the Business Breakfast will be uh, grabbing hold of the mantle next. I think the next conversation will be with them. But in the meantime, it's been fantastic delving a little bit deeper into what needs to be done with those emissions. Climate Conversations on the Agenda. With Dubai Holding, together for the good of tomorrow.